Good morning, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus at Christmas this Advent season, we look now at the subject of God bringing His wisdom to earth in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. We will see that it is a good thing that God is the one making the decisions for our redemption, because I am not sure any of us would do it the way He chose to do it. Thanks for listening. I served for years in the Bahamas. Uh, there was a there was a fella there uh, named Wade. He's big big guy. You can't miss Wade. He's he's missing a front tooth right there. If you ever see him, you'll know. He's a construction worker, and from from the age uh, of 19, when I started going down there, I had gotten to know Wade and worked with Wade. And one thing that I discovered as being someone who is an apprentice to someone who knows more than me is that there was a way of doing things in the Bahamas that was different uh, than in the United States. Uh, they don't have Home Depot that you could just go down the road and pick up what you need. Sometimes you have to learn to make do with what you have. Uh, one thing that I discovered, though, as I, being young, had been trained by this Bahamian to see how they do it differently, we would have teams that would come over from the U.S. Now, many times they would come for the purpose of construction, bringing these experts in contracting. And they would get on the work site, and they would want to do it the way they've always done it before. Now, having watched this, I would kind of sit back and think, I don't know if you want to do it that way because what you're going to find is you're not going to have the supplies that you need. And boy, just time after time, they would say, oh, no, I, we always do it. I know, who are you? I know what I'm doing here. I, I'm the expert here. And they try to go their way, but they would invariably end up running into trouble because right, when in Rome, or as Dorothy says, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, right? Uh, it's a little bit different trying to uh, get the job done over there. And that, that way of thinking, that, that logic of saying, I just, I don't know if I would do it that way. I find that that's a similar question that I tend to ask in my Christian life. That as I think to how my life has unfolded, I sometimes wonder to ask God, you know, I don't know if I would have done it that way. I don't know if the circumstances of my life, the ups and the downs in particular, would be the way that I would have chosen for it to go. Imagine if you were God. Imagine that you've got your creation that's completely rebelled against you. What would you do? If you were God, how would you handle it? I bet some of you, like me, might just think about giving everyone here a swift kick in the pants, maybe, right? And that, that would solve the problem. Right? Or, or, or maybe taking away your allowance, right? Or um, I'm going to give them a good talking to. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. The way we would handle things, it tends not to be the way God would do it. You know what I would never have thought of? Here's what I would have never thought of if I was God. I would have never thought, hey, I know what. For these people who have rejected me, who have decided to follow after their own glory and rebelled against me, you know what I'll do? I'll sacrifice my own son for them. I would have never done it that way. I would have never thought to do it that way. Have you in your life ever tried to question God to think, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I don't know if I would have done it this way. There is a logic that comes to this earth that doesn't belong to earth. It's called the wisdom of God. There is a writer uh, named Anselm of Canterbury. He lived a long time ago, and he tried to undertake this problem of why did God have to send his son? It didn't make any sense. He asked the question, in Latin it's called Curdeus homo, but it just simply means why the God-man? Why? And what he discovered in his study of this was that it is man who has offended God, right? God didn't do anything wrong. Who's guilty here? 
Right? It was man who has offended God. Therefore, it is man's responsibility to make it right. But here's the problem. Man is finite. We have a beginning and we have an end. But God is infinite. And we have, unfortunately, offended an infinite being. Therefore, recompense to make right the wrong, to get the transgression taken care of, has to be not a finite payment, but an infinite payment. Therefore, the only one able... To pay for the transgression of men is not men, but God. Do you see the dilemma? Man is responsible, but God is able. Man is accountable, but God is the only one who can bring about justification. This is why God had to send his son. So that having a dual nature, being in the very nature, God. Right? Remember how we looked at last Last Sunday, he was found in the appearance of, as a man. He has a dual nature. And in doing so, he can, he can for us destroy death. He can for us destroy the penalty that belongs to man. I want you to see in your Bibles, just very quickly, it's not our main passage, but turn to the book of Hebrews very quickly. The writer of Hebrews does an excellent job in chapter 2 just outlining this importance. The reason why Jesus had to take on flesh and blood, same as us. Hebrews chapter 2. Whoever gets there, help us with the page number if you have a pew Bible. 1853. 1863. 1863. Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to see what the writer says here starting in verse 14. 1864 now, right? All right. Listen to what he says. Since the children, that's us, right? That's you, children. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you fear death? You know, there, I think there was a point in my life where I really, really feared death. Uh, before I really understood what faith was, before I really understood the hope that I have in Jesus Christ, I remember being a young man, and uh, I was not young, I was a child, and there was a, there'd be a funeral at either the church or at a funeral home, and you can ask my mom, I would not go anywhere near it because I was so afraid of death. Not necessarily my own death, but just recognizing there's something terribly wrong with this. It's not the way it's supposed to go. Do you know what that does? Right here, it says it holds you in slavery. Fear. Well, you're stuck. I don't know what to do. But guess what, church? Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. Amen? Amen. He has conquered the grave. So guess what? You do not need to fear death. The devil would love to hold that over you to keep all of us stuck right in our tracks. That's not true. I don't fear death anymore. They used to have those t-shirts, right? In the 90s, I said, no fear. Yeah, man. No fear. I... I fear God. That's who I fear. I don't fear the one who can destroy the body. I fear the one who could destroy both the body and the soul. And it is he who I am serving. Jesus Christ is the only one that could justly and rightly bring accusation against me. Could you bring accusation against me? Well, probably you could. But guess what? I just point my finger right back at you. Do you ever, don't you hate it when the kids do that? Like when you're trying to get the one and then, well, they did it too. Well, I'm not dealing with them. I'm dealing with you. Right? Because all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty. Jesus Christ is not. So he is the only one who could rightly condemn and judge. But guess what? He's the one fighting for you. 
He is the one saying, man, I want that. I want her. I want him. He's the only one that could condemn, but he's the one who, who justly um, paid for your penalty. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels he helps, right? He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't made like an angel. You have flesh and blood, so he had to have flesh and blood. It's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. That he might make atonement. That's a beautiful word. Does your Bible say atonement? That means to cover over your sins. You know, like when you're supposed to sweep the floor when you were little and you just went under the rug, covered it up? It, you don't see it anymore. Now, it's a bad illustration, but, but it's the same idea as atonement. It's covering up. It's the sins aren't, uh, they're not there anymore. You don't see them anymore. They're covered over to, to make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. I didn't plan to preach on this, but I feel like I preach on this right now. Church, you got to know, he can help you. Jesus Christ came into this world. God did not leave himself unremoved he put himself in your mess. He knows what you're going through. And he can help you. He lives right now. He stands before the Father to intercede for us. To stand in our place. To call you out by name and say, I choose that one. I want that one. That's awesome, church. That's awesome. I, I would have never thought to do that if I was God. I would have, it would have never come to my mind. I'd be kicking him in the pants, giving him good hard talking to and taking away your allowance. That's what I'd be doing. But God, in his wisdom, did it a lot differently. Jesus comes to earth, and you know what? He does the same thing. He turns everything upside down. In Matthew chapter 5, you know what he says? He said, blessed are the rich. Wait a minute. No, what's he say? Does that make any sense to you? Blessed are the poor in spirit? I, I would have never thought that. I would have thought it would have gone the other way. He'll say this. He'll say, anybody who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Say, what now? I would have thought if you try to save your life, you're going to save your life, right? That's the goal. Jesus says, no, I'm turning on its head that you'll see this, that the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of man. Anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life for me and for the gospel, Jesus will say, will save it. Wow, I would have never thought that. All right, so in order to save my life, I have to lose it. Meaning I have to put aside my agendas. I got to take the things I was loving, the things I was wanting to do. Right, the things that I value, the things that I cherish. I got to lose those things. I got to put it all aside to serve a single love, Jesus Christ alone. And then he says that I will save my life. He does one other. I mean, I, he's got a bunch of these, but the last one I can think of is when he says, you've heard that it has said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. This is the end of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I didn't catch that, Jesus. What was that again? Something like you said, love your enemies. That's crazy. I would have never thought to do that. God knew that we were a mess here. Is that worth an amen? We're in a mess. Now we're with them. We're in a mess. Even in the church. Let's be honest, folks. Even amongst ourselves, sometimes we don't get along. We're just in a mess everywhere we go. God said, I got a solution for this. I'm going to bring my wisdom right down to earth. 
I'm going to send my own son who will be anointed with the spirit of wisdom. That was from Isaiah 11 that we read this morning. To look at this, I invite you, as I'm calling this message, the advent of wisdom. Right? It's the coming of wisdom. For we do celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. But in sending his son, God had brought us the wisdom of God to come and to live right with us. Right? Emmanuel means what? God with us. We have the wisdom of God with us. Look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul is going to really make known this message of God and the wisdom of God as contrasted with the wisdom of men. And we're going to see as we walk through this, if somehow throughout this week, you and I can stop trying to tap into man's wisdom, right? whatever that may be, however we try to govern and work and orchestrate our lives, that instead we put that aside and that you and I would seek to fill our lives with the wisdom that comes from God. Remember, it's a backwards kind of wisdom. Right? You want to live? You got to die. You, you, you want to get justice to your enemies? You got to what? Love them. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, but this is what we got to try to catch. Right? 1 Corinthians, let's start in uh, verse 18. Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. Remember, what was it? Christ crucified. That's what was preached. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a miraculous sign. And the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the power, Christ, the power of God. And Christ, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I mean... Let me break down for you a couple of just backward things that happened with God sending his son. God sends Jesus into a world that's wrought with turmoil. And he's fully God. He ought to deserve more than Jesus receives. In fact, I wrote down a few of these things. Uh, when Jesus was born, there was no royal procession. You remember a few years back uh, in um, England? Oh man, I forget their names. The prince and the... The lady with the dresses, Kate Middleton, is that right? Yeah, they, they had a baby. And remember, that was, that was like a big deal. It was in all the newspapers. The royalty right here is so exciting. Birth of a baby. What about Jesus, creator of the universe? There's no royal procession. Instead, his mom probably rode on a donkey. That's probably all that she got. There was no kingly family. Instead, the family's from Bethlehem, remember? 
the, uh, the ruler at the time said you got to go back to your home of origin and they go to Bethlehem? That's like Sagola. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like this tiny little place. You know, you're, you're not coming from Milwaukee here. You're going, you're coming from Segola. So they're, they, uh, they're not this kingly family. It's the smallest of all tribes, Micah 5.2 says. There was no fancy crib, right? There's no bassinet with a dream center and unisex washable removable mattress, right? With an inlay changing table. What did Jesus get? He got a, he got a feeding trough. I would, never, I would never thought of that. If I was God, I would have I thought you probably should go to, you know, Walmart and get a pack and play. Uh, there was no gift registry, right? There was no baby shower. Instead, there was a late impromptu party by these wise guys, right? Some strangers. Uh, wise men, they came with strange gifts. Now, you, you got to tap into this thing because what they bring, they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Now, who wants the gold? Oh, come on, appreciate it. You want the gold. All right, we all want the gold. That'd be fantastic. Guess what? We're having a baby. You can give us gold. That's fine. Right? But the other two don't make much sense for a baby shower. Frankincense and myrrh are used routinely in the anointing of burials and in, in, in for dead bodies. I'm good with the gold, but the rest doesn't quite make sense. I would have never thought of that. Uh, there's no relatives at the hospital delivery room, Right? Like there's no no one pacing. Wait, when is it here? Is the baby here? Instead, it's shepherds, like smelly shepherds. You got to think about where they just came from, right? I, you ladies who have had babies, the last person you want walking in after you had a baby is some shepherds. I, I've I've never given birth, but I know what it. You know, I can. I've been there, and and there, you want privacy. And could you shut the door on your way out? And nope, in walk the shepherds, right? I would have never thought to do that. There's no fancy car seat with a three-point adjustable, detachable, latchable strap. <laughs> Instead, they got to flee to Egypt for safety because Herod's trying to kill Jesus. I would have never thought they'd do it that way. There's a strange family. Joseph, he dies before Jesus reaches his career. Uh, Jesus' brothers think he's crazy. He's got, a he's got a cousin who dresses in camel hair and eats bugs. Uh, it, that's the guy at Thanksgiving that sits at the other table. Right? Uh, he was rejected in his hometown, right? The people from his hometown didn't want to listen to him. Oh, we know you, right? son of the carpenter. We ain't listening to you. Um, he's threatened by his own government, wants to kill him. The people who are in charge want to kill him. And on and on it goes. Would have you ever thought this is, if you were God, this is what I would do. This is how I would do it. Look back at 1 Corinthians, right? The message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It don't make any sense. I would never do it this way. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of salvation. This is what we hold on to because the wisdom of God looks so very different from the wisdom of how we think about this world. It's backwards. Paul's going to quote here in Isaiah 29. I will, this is God speaking. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You guys think you're smart? Let me just show you something. Right? I will uh, uh, destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. He says it twice in case you didn't get it. Where is the scholar? Where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You and I, we would have never chosen to do it this way. We definitely would have uh, handled it differently. But this is what God chose to do. 
And for those of us who are being saved, it is called the power of God. Look down to verse 24. To those whom God has called. I hope that's you. God's called you. To those whom God has called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Don't don't watch Oprah. Don't watch the TV show. Don't watch any. Listen to Jesus. All right. That's where the wisdom of God comes from. Unless someone is giving you Jesus' words, I want to caution you. Just so, you know, there's a lot of good advice that comes from a lot of different places. But the one you really need to hold on to is the one to, that has the power of salvation for you. That's one here called the wisdom of God being shown in Jesus Christ. And if you didn't think that was enough, just look at what God does at the end here. Paul writes in verse 25, for the foolishness of God. Now, I don't actually think that's a thing. Do you think that's a thing? God has foolishness? I think Paul's making this up. I think he's saying that even if God were foolish, like to make a platypus, some weird creature, right? That's kind of a silly thing, right? The, the silliness of God, guess what? The lowest that God can go is still wiser than man's wisdom. Like God long dividing infinity by infinity, right? It, the, the lowest bar that he could go is still higher than you. It's still higher than anybody that you would read or listen to or watch. Look at his weakness, right? Does God have weakness? As he finishes verse 25, the weakness of God. God's weakest day is still better than man's strongest. There's one story as we kind of close this message that I want us to look at. It comes in Luke's gospel. Let's just turn there real quick because it's a great illustration of how it's Luke 19. It's a great illustration of how Jesus comes and just changes how we think about things. Luke chapter 19. It's a story that you're familiar with. A guy named Zacchaeus, tax collector. Uh, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, what page are we on? Who's got it? 1630. Uh, Chapter 19 of Luke, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there uh, by the name of Zacchaeus, uh, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore uh, fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, or look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The wisdom of God looks so very different from how you and I would do it. Different from how Zacchaeus thought he would do it. What did Zacchaeus think? I'm going to climb a tree. That was his plan. The crowd's too big here. I don't. I got an idea. I'll climb a tree. What does Jesus do? Nope. You got it backwards, pal. Get down out of the tree. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus from a distance, right? That, that, a lot of us are like that. I'll come to church and maybe I'll sign up to bring food, but don't ask me to do too much, right? I mean, I'll, I like Jesus, but I kind of like him at a distance. That was Zacchaeus. 
What was Jesus saying? Jesus wanted to sleep over at his house. Talk about invasive, right? I don't even have the guest bed set up. Uh, um, I, I, was, I had to go back and look at this because look at what Jesus says in verse 5. Zacchaeus come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Uh, Zacchaeus wanted to have Jesus at arms, you know, maybe a little further, arms reach. I just want to see who you are. God had a different plan. The wisdom of God said, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to invade your house. All the little things that you are keeping for you, the things that you like, guess what? I'm coming. I don't know what you got there, but get ready. Or ready or not. Right? Here I come. Zacchaeus wanted to make himself rich in Jericho. Right? He's wealthy, tax collector. We get that from verse 2, but what about Jesus? Verse 1, what's it say? Jesus was just passing through. Right? Jesus is not concerned about making himself wealthy. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus said that he would give away what he cheated. And Jesus says that he has received salvation through faith. You might not have caught it, but it comes in the end of what Jesus says. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Being a son of Abraham, a child of Abraham, doesn't mean that you just follow the lineage. I'm Jewish because my daddy was Jew. That's not what it means. Being a son or a daughter of Abraham means that you follow in the faith of Abraham. And that's what Zacchaeus showed. I mean, he got down out of the tree. He encountered the king of kings. And immediately he says, look, Lord, you, you got me. <laughs> you got me. I'm going to give away half of what I have. I've been living with too much. You're going to see it once we get to my house. It's way too much. Um, and if I've cheated anybody because you are God, you know I'm going to repay all that I cheated. That's faith. That's not purchasing salvation. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit and then acting on it. A lot of us have the first part. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. But we don't quite have the courage of Zacchaeus to act on it. The last thing I want to show you is that Zacchaeus' life was spent avoiding financial loss. Right? I mean, he was a tax collector. He was a wealthy guy. But look at verse 10. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. The wisdom of God has come into our world with the birth of Jesus Christ. It turns how we think on our head. My conclusion for this actually comes from the book of Proverbs chapter 3. If, if you'll just turn there with me as we, we end the, the message. Proverbs chapter 3. It's a, it's a verse I know you're familiar with, but it's one that you've got to learn to live by. It's easy to say, it's easy to read, it's even a little easy to preach, but it is a whole other thing to live this way. Proverbs chapter 3. Helen, you have the page number? 987. 987. Verse 5. It's a good one. Ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Don't fill your head with the wisdom of this world. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. You guys don't know this, but when I was moving home, I was moving home following the Spirit's conviction in my life to take care of my dad and be here for my mom. And that seemed like the right thing to do. I believe the Word of God said that was the right thing to do. But I didn't have a job. You know, you, you get, let me come in to preach here. But I felt like as much as this might be an opportunity, I didn't know if this was going to be a good fit. Praise God it is. But 
I went and, you know, I had a teaching background. I taught for years. And so I went down to the high school and I got an application and I started to go through the process. And I was walking back from um, uh, kind of the background check from, from this thing. And I kind of stopped in my tracks. And I just felt like, why am I trying to hedge my bets? Why am I trying to do a backup plan here? Why am I relying on my own plans? And I tore up the application. I said, if God is bringing me home, he's going to have to make a way. Church, I'm so very glad that he made a way. I'm so very glad to serve here. But that was a moment where I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust in God. I'm not going to rely on my own understanding. Look at the verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. <coughs> this is what you got to do this week. You ready? It's not going to be easy, but this is what you got to do. Don't rely on your own understanding. You're going to see stuff come tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're going to see stuff that you're going to want to work and fix and control. Trust in God. Rely on Him. If you don't have the answer, it's okay. He does things way differently than how we would do them. It's going to be okay. Instead, you know what you do? Verse 6. Acknowledge Him. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm watching for God. I'm going to trust in God. I don't have the answer, but God does. And He will make your path straight. Maybe you need to meet Jesus like Zacchaeus did. Maybe you need to really encounter God, and that's the thing that you need to do today. Maybe you need to ask God for wisdom, the wisdom that comes from Him. The book of James says, uh, if, anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault. And maybe you need to remember that this Christmas is about meeting Jesus again. The wisdom of God come down from heaven to invade our lives. Not as a God that you can always figure out, but as one who displays wisdom that's out of this world. The kind of wisdom that would have a baby born in a manger in a town as small as Segola. Let's pray.